This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello, welcome to another episode of Meet the Investor. My name is Ali Mwakaneno Gakweli, your usual host. And today I want to, well, today I am talking to Francisca Ray, who is the founder and CEO of ANCAP Venture Capital. And this is a venture capital that focuses on early stage businesses and um, helping them raise the necessary funding to um build their businesses to to grow stage. I think um, Francisca would be able to define that clearly better than I can. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Very excited to to speak to you today. So um, UNCAP is really not your traditional VC. So we are much more a a funding platform. Um, And we were founded with the aim to really make early stage funding accessible to every good founder in Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, so when we when we started, what we saw is that there is like we're still talking about this huge missing middle funding gap. <laughs> Everyone knows about the gap, but it seems nothing is really happening at scale. Um, and I think there are kind of like great efforts. There are VC funds, there are impact funds who are investing in great startups. Um, but this is just kind of like they're just able to scratch the surface of business that need funding. Um, so when we started, we're like, is there a way where we can actually make access to early stage funding scalable like is there a way where we can kind of like blend the scale of microfinance with early stage capital um so what we're doing is that we're not we're not a small kind of like investment team that meets entrepreneurs and then invests in them and kind of like hands hold and supports them access to the networks etc but we are um a completely tech enabled funding platform um that basically invests in entrepreneurs through a series of tests and algorithms that then selects the entrepreneurs we invest in. Right. So maybe um, what are some of the, what are maybe three things that an early stage business should offer an investor like Uncap for you to actually consider putting money into it? Mm-hmm. So I think in general, we are really interested in every business <laughs> um, and we are focused on local founders. Mm-hmm. So we're only investing in companies with local founders, or at least um, a majority of the management team should be local founders. Um, and they need to have the potential to scale over time. Um, so you don't need to be a high tech, high growth businesses. We're not looking for the next unicorn, but we're also not investing in mom and pop shops. So we are investing in businesses with kind of like exceptional founders who will grow their business organically over the next 50 to 20 years. Why why really focus on local founders? Because I I literally have to ask this question because in Kenya, most of the startups that receive majority of their attention and majority of the funding are technically not Kenyan startups. The, The founding is not necessarily local. A majority of the team could be majority of the resources um, used and where the business lies could be Kenyan, stroke Sub-Saharan African, but then the founding is not. So why this unconventional way? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, I mean, we probably all know this kind of like famous study of village capital. Probably, I think it came out a few years ago about that 90% of VC funding, I think in East Africa, went to expat founded companies. 
Um, and I think that's just absolutely unacceptable. <laughs> why why um, is that? Because I think, like, what, why would you? Like, why do you really think that someone who didn't grow up here, who doesn't know the market, who doesn't know the challenges, um, is actually a better founder than a local founder? Um, and I think the reason is that um, VC funding is mostly white <laughs> and very many investors automatically and that's not like it's not intentional but they invest in people who who look like them who maybe went to the same universities they have a different have kind of like a similar upbringing um, and I think that's the only reason why most funding went into expat funded companies so far um, and I think this this needs to change because um, so we are investing in Africa because we think um, no one else in the world currently there's more entrepreneurial potential than here, but that potential is brought by local founders. So we've talked about maybe what you would like to see in in an early stage business. Let's flip the coin here. In as much as Africa is underfunded, we have growing interest from venture capitalists and fund managers from all over the world. So why then, why would a founder pick UNCAP um, as, a, as an investment partner mm-hmm. or as an, as an investor compared to, you know, many others on the table? Yeah. Um, so I think one of the reasons is that we are doing really small tickets and that's more like a technicality, mm-hmm. but we're investing between ten to $50,000. And I think this is a ticket size that many, many investors don't do not go into. I mean, if you're like a VC fund, usually you would probably start at 200K or 500K. Right. Because lower than that, um, the cost to do the et cetera, is just too high. Um, so A, we are really kind of like, um, I think we are really tar- really targeting early stage entrepreneurs. So mm-hmm. we are usually the first investor that would go into your business. Um, I think other than that, we are, and it's not surprising, but also when it comes to other benefits, we're more unconventional. So for the basically, in order to be able to fund as many entrepreneurs as possible, and here we're talking about hundreds and then thousands in the future, mm-hmm. um, we have to sacrifice certain personal elements that other investors bring to the table. Mm-hmm. What will so those be? We, we can't do any kind of like, um, basically, from me to the founder, we can't do any coaching, we can't do any hand-holding. Um, so we had to figure out a way where we can basically also build a support system that is fully digital, that is automated, and that is scalable to kind of like the hundreds of entrepreneurs we want to invest in. Um, so what we've built is basically every entrepreneur that we invest in gets access to a dashboard. Um, and that dashboard is connected to an accounting tool, um, and we basically um, provide them with insights into their financial health. We calculate automated kind of like KPI analysis, financial track records. Um, we also calculate a, a track record for you. Mm-hmm. So basically, um, the moment where you want to um, raise more external funding, you can use that track record um, to kind of like go out and say, look, this is how often I report on time. This is how often I repay on time. This is how my financials kind of like uh, developed over time. Um, so they're not kind of like dependent on our personal opinion of them and give, making them an introduction. Um, and then last, we give them access to like a library of curated resources, um, but also training programs from partners like the African Management Institute or Angosa. 
Um, so we decided instead of doing everything ourselves, we rely on analytics, but then also tapping into the ecosystem of resources that is already out there. Before we get into what are some of the sectors that maybe you've already invested in, I have to ask this because investing in early stage businesses period is slightly riskier <laughs> than investing in, in, uh, in middle stage, let's stage sure. businesses. And be this something that you said given the nature of your ticket sizes. Of course, there's a whole cost element involved in appraising whether a business is um, worthy of investing in or maybe the business needs to take more time and arrange their affairs. Why then would you go for small ticket sizes, Francesca? Um, so, I mean, th- this really is the reason why we exist. We said we, we want to be able to invest small ticket sizes in thousands of entrepreneurs. Like we really want to be the one who is the first to basically help build a pipeline of um, businesses that grow over time. And so um, the main challenge was to actually lower the cost. (laughs) And we thought that it's possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, it's interesting to see that everyone wants to invest in innovative businesses, but no one really innovates around the investment process itself or investment models. Um, And so we decided to kind of like take on this fully automated digital approach um, that is hugely scalable. And so our due diligence cost um, and basically cost of deal making is an absolute fraction of what it usually is. Because there is no element in there where we sit down with the founder, we discuss kind of like their business, we look at their business plans, we look at their pitch decks, we discuss evaluation. Everything is automated. So basically a founder applies on the platform, they are run through a different number of tests on personality, on skills, on behavior, but also on the knowledge of their business. Mm -hmm. And then they automatically get a funding offer or not. Um, And that funding offer is hugely standardized. Um, So usually we buy a certain percentage of equity in the business that they then repurchase back over time at a price that is agreed beforehand. Um, And so also that element kind of like saves costs because it's highly standardized. And then once they're transferred into the portfolio management, so the access to the dashboard, also that kind of like hugely standardized. Um, so that's basically why we decided to go for early stage. Um, and I think like when it comes to, to industries, um, we are invested in, I think at the moment, six or seven different industries. Yeah. So we're like super broad. There are no industries we would exclude other than like coal and gas and gambling, etc. Um, and I think that's also um, for us, it's a matter of actually reducing risk. <laughs> So we want to do, by the end of this year, we want to invest in at least 100 business at once. Um, Inofficial target is 200, but 100 is something we can probably guarantee. Um, And so if you invest in in 100 business across four different countries and six different industries, you automatically have an element in your portfolio where you kind of like hugely diversify the risk. And so this is part of kind of like what we do is um, lower the risk of kind of like, um, basically lower the risk of... uh, wrong investment by betting heavily on the founder, analyzing the founder quite intensely, mm-hmm. but then also spreading the risk by investing in many businesses at the same time across different industries and countries. I understand that this year you're launching actually a second cohort of investments. Mm, could you yeah. could you talk about um, the first or maybe what what was your your experience in um, in your first round of investments? Allow me to call it that if you don't mind. Uh, what are some of the things that you picked up on the way that would help you um, improve your, your processes to to hit the 200 businesses target? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I need to say we are an early stage business ourselves. <laughs> so we were we were officially founded in 2019. Mm-hmm. So we're like um, we're <laughs> kind of like in the same range of early stage and our founders. Um, and so the first cohort that we invested in for us was really kind of like our experimental pilot portfolio. So back then we didn't have basically we didn't have anything. We all we had was an idea about using different tests and new modes of investments to scale up funding. We didn't have a technology, we didn't have funding, we didn't have a team. Um, so back then things were quite hands-on and very pragmatic and in times maybe a little bit kind of like chaotic. Um, but it helped us to kind of like very quickly invest in 27 businesses and then from those businesses basically learn and adapt. So what we did is that we put together a very kind of like process consisting of different building blocks, sending them a test here, sending them a survey there, doing an email here, etc. Um, and then basically investing in those companies that performed best in at least one of the categories. So we put in a level of randomization. And then afterwards, um, we invested, basically they got a standardized investment offer, um, 10% um, of equity that they then buy back through their revenues. And then we sat down and basically watched what happened. Um, And I think the learnings from those first investments really informed everything that we're doing now. Um, So it informed how to, what is actually our precise target group? Um, What are the tests that have more predictive potential than others? Also, what is the right investment mode? (laughs) But also, how do we solve the topic of payment, for example? Um, so that really, that first portfolio, really, basically everything we're doing now is based on the learnings from that portfolio. So 2019, um, um, so the UNCAP is unofficially around two, two years old <laughs> and we're counting COVID years here. Yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, the, the time which you started investing, or rather investing in, in founders in Africa is also the time when the COVID-19 was the center of attention. How did COVID-19 affect some of the businesses that you're investing in and how did you adapt to that? Yeah, I mean, that, that was really like the timing was uh, great, speaking sarcastically. So we paid out <laughs> the first 24 investment last year in March. Um, and that was really like, I think probably like the week or the two weeks before COVID officially hit. I think borders in Kenya were still open, but kind of like then they closed. At that moment, my colleague and I were actually traveling here and we were supposed to go from Nairobi to Kampala Mm -hmm. and we weren't even allowed to enter anymore. So it was like, really, we paid an investment and then COVID hit. And I think it was interesting to see um, how that affects our founders. Um, And of course, we were also worried on a more personal level for them. Um, And some of them actually really benefited. So we have one founder in Uganda and he runs like an an e-commerce business. Um, and he basically um, delivers produce from small border farmers to customers in Kampala. Um, and for him, I mean, the first weeks were difficult because he wasn't allowed to run any logistics, but then he kind of like struck a deal with the government. And basically, um, I think his kind of like numbers of customers really took off. But then there were other business um, in Rwanda that were just not allowed to run any operations. So I think basically for them, although the investment was designed to help them buy a machine or something kind of like buy assets. I think most of them then actually had to take the investment to just keep afloat for a couple of months. Um, None of them actually went bust. So all of them are still alive. And I think that also shows that 
my feeling is that business in, in Sub-Saharan Africa are much more resilient than in Europe. Um, I think it's a mentality thing. I think mm -hmm. founders are more resilient because they had to and they have to, um, unfortunately. And then second, I think before you actually declare bankruptcy, you probably try everything to keep your business afloat. Maybe you have one side hustle, two side hustles, three side hustles, and then eventually things get better and then you kind of like start focusing on your business 100% again. Right. Um, and I think that's something that we can see in our portfolio. Although some of them really were struggling to get any revenues, they're now kind of like recovering and revenues are taking up again. I'd like to focus on, on COVID-19 because it was that uncertainty that yeah. almost hit everyone better than we could have predicted. With the businesses that were affected in, in your portfolio, of course, uh, since you'd already agreed on a predetermined rate prior to the investment, how did you really adjust that to suit current realities? Um, so we actually didn't adjust it, but um, so how basically how it works is that an entrepreneur buys back um, the shares we bought from them at a price we agreed beforehand, and they buy it back through 5% of their quarterly revenues. Mm -hmm. Back then it was quarterly, now it's monthly, but kind of like regular revenues. Right. So if you don't have any revenues, you're basically not paying anything back. So it's just a stalemate. <laughs> yeah, so it's just a stalemate. Um, and we actually prolonged kind of like the period that companies didn't have to pay at all, mm -hmm. to not cut into the limited revenues they have. Um, but in general, like if there are no revenues, then there's nothing to pay. Okay. Looking at the continent here, um, you say you are you working on um, investing in, in in four different countries, uh, Kenya, Rwanda. Sorry, I don't yeah, remember sure. the two. <laughs> so currently, we are actually invested in seven different countries. So okay. we are invested in Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, Nigeria, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Mali, and Malawi. Yeah. Um, we are now kind of like um, refocusing on four countries for the next cohort, being Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda, Nigeria. Um, just because we're kind of like seeing how we can actually scale up the bureaucratic part of investment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but in general, our approach really lends itself to scale to all types of different countries in Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and we really, we want to get to the founders that would actually, like they're not on anyone's radar. They're not in Nairobi, but they might be somewhere in, in rural Kenya. They're, they're not in Kigali, they're not in Kampala, <laughs> and they're not maybe not even in East Africa. So we really want to get to those entrepreneurs um, that are have actually no chance of getting access to any type of seed funding at all. There are a couple of funding gaps in Africa that I'd really, really want to talk about. For example, we have a sectorial gap, in, in my opinion. I feel like anything fintech generally gets more funding where... Um, Agriculture lags behind. Clean tech tries, but then we're really not there yet. And non-tech businesses really don't don't get much attention. And also when it comes to um, gender-wise, we see that, um, again, most of the funding goes to male founders. Uh, female founders are not as well represented as is sustainable or preferable. But then before we get to that, your process really focuses on the on the potential of, of, of the founder. My, my question would be, um, how do you balance out with other aspects of the business that could um, determine its success? And B, what are some of the challenges that uh, dump entrepreneurial potential in Africa? Um, so to the first question, um, we really believe that in the state that we invest in, the founder or the founding team 
is the most important thing. I mean, everything else, the market, the business model, etc. I mean, it's good, it's good to know, but most likely it will change anyways. So what, what we want to know is really like, are you someone who can run a good business? Are you someone who can build a good team? Are you someone who can pivot a business if needed? We're really like, we're doubling down on you as the founder. Right. Because we think you're the most important element in the beginning. So sort of the founder is literally the the core here. Yeah. And I think that's actually, it's not, not that different how a traditional VC would, would act, right? <laughs> Most VCs are so they bet heavily on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also what they believe in. Um, we're just trying to automate that process and by that also make it less biased than it is. So mm-hmm. there are no, actually no decisions are being made by anyone in the team personally. So our opinion on who should get investment or not doesn't play any role. Um, and so I'm kind of like the, the dampening of, of the potential. I think actually like there's no, no dampening of potential happening at all. I think there is no continent with greater entrepreneurial potential than Africa. Yeah. But the potential, of course, hasn't been able to be fully realized. Um, and I think there are many challenges to that. And for sure, one being funding. Um, I mean, running a business, scaling a business without having access to any additional cash is just really, really hard. And I think there are just a number of very dedicated business models that can kind of like completely bootstrap. But most of them, in order to grow, they will need some type of external funding eventually. And if you're like an early stage founder, you're too risky to banks, you're too large for microfinance, you're too small for, for an investor. Um, so you're all you can rely on our family and friends, but like most of them also can just kind of like give you $50,000 in cash. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I get that. Maybe to back to the first first component. Sure. Again, there's, there's the finding up that we've discussed. What do you think previous investors in most parts of the continent could do better? And um, what is Uncap VC doing differently to make sure that, hey, we have more money flowing to one, other sectors, two, female founders, three, regionally here? Because the thing is, if you look at the map of Africa, there's comparatively... Um, better funding flowing into Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, a little bit of Egypt, Uganda not so much, Francophone Africa, in my opinion, um, forgotten. How, how do you balance that? How do you balance their tension to address these gaps? Well, that's a, that's a big question. So I think kind of like the first part, like what is traditional VC doing wrong? I mean, so I'm very new in this whole investment game, right? So I'm really not the one to tell that others are doing anything wrong. But I think what the ecosystem is doing wrong, that I think a VC is a really, really good source of funding for a very specific type of business. <laughs> um, so if you're a high tech, high growth business, um, then VC funding is probably the way to go. But when we talk about early stage business in Africa, we talk about kind of like a multitude of different businesses. So I think what we definitely need to see more is alternative types of funders. Funders who are not dependent on this one single liquidity event. Um, Funders who understand that they're a business who are more dedicated for other types of funding, a revenue-based type of funding. Mm -hmm. Funders who are more diverse in their management teams. (laughs) I mean, we, we know that if you have more senior female, basically senior team members in a GP, then the chance of funding women is twice as likely. <laughs> so is think, that the case here? 
Um, I mean, so we, we don't call the shots when it comes to making a decision. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so in our case, at the moment, I think we're doing okay on the amount of female founders. What's okay? We need to do better. I think at the moment it's like 30%, 30-40%. That's not, not great. Um, but I think actually de-biasing the whole investment process is one of the best levers to actually diversify whom you invest in. And here I'm not only talking about female founders, but also local founders. Founders who don't pitch like someone who went to a business school. <laughs> founders who um, don't know how to present themselves because they've never run through a kind of like a pitch training. Um, so I think, and this is what we are trying to do. Um, and what we can see, for example, with cases like ClearBank, who is now ClearCoin in Canada, um, they are investing in e-commerce business completely remote through kind of like an algorithm. And I think they, they fund eight times more female funders than a traditional VC, just purely because they take out this kind of like personal bias that just every investor automatically brings to the table, um, even if you try hard to avoid that. So I think that's, that's how we try to do it. Kind of like, um, basically we don't discriminate against any funder, uh, any, any founder who applies. Everyone can run through the application process. And as long as you do well on the tests, we don't we, we don't even know how you look like. We don't know how you pitch. <laughs> I mean, like, we don't care. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is also for us the way to kind of like scale to other countries. I mean, we started in, we have this kind of like focus at least at the moment on East Africa because that's when we started on CAB, this is where the first contacts we had basically helped us get it off the ground. Um, because, I mean, most most kind of like bigger organizations, funds, etc., with kind of like Western roots are based in Kenya. So naturally, this is how, how we started. Um, but I like really want to quickly move to other countries. We're not able to serve Francophone countries yet because the whole process is English. Mm -hmm. But this is something that could actually easily be done. Um, and so the goal really is to kind of like go to countries that are uh, get much less attention from funders than East Africa. Example, or Nigeria. So, Francisca, something that I'd really, really want to know is um, you said that your process is digital, which again makes it very, very easy to, to scale and um, reach more founders compared to other ways in which VCs work. Um, my concern would be how do you make sure that your process is not compromised in terms of a founder blindsiding you, either by misrepresenting their business or say, well, misrepresenting is, is the word I'd really, really go with. Yeah, sure. Um, so I can't go into too much detail, but basically um, we work a lot with behavior science. So we try to figure out like what are ways, how can you figure out if someone's actually speaking the truth? How do you figure out if someone's actually committed? Um, when it comes to, for example, a personality test, you as a founder don't really have an incentive to lie because you don't know what we're looking for. Right. <laughs> um, when it comes to the skill tests, for example, um, even, for example, around financial literacy, even if you ask someone else to take the test, we know that you at least know someone with very good financial literacy. And for us, that's good enough. <laughs> it's kind of like um, we want to know if you have either yourself or access to certain skills and behavior that will make you a good founder. Um, and when it, when, when it comes about the business itself, we are looking for certain cues in the way that you speak about the business and also about how well are you actually able to talk about your business as kind of like a proxy about um, 
how well do you actually know what you're doing there? So instead of thinking that we could be any sort of expert on your business model, um, we think that if you already prove to be a good founder based on certain skills and personality things, um, then we trust you to be the expert, but we want to see that you actually are. Um, so there will be founders who can talk about their business in length and detail and other founders who are not able to do that. Um, and then other than that, there are certain kind of like, as I said, kind of like certain cues in the process that help us to determine if this is actually truthful information or not. Moving away from that, one of the challenges that I would argue founders in, in say Kenya face immediately is the, the cost of setting up a business and the initial cost of running that business. Um, as, as you're aware, given that you're already looking into Kenya and Rwanda comparatively, again, subjective to my opinion, Rwanda offers lower costs of setting up, um, lower regulatory barriers compared to Kenya. Maybe how can startup founders in markets that you're working into like Kenya sort of navigate around the high cost of setting up a business. I think this is probably really where um, accelerators and incubators come into play. Um, I mean, we we only focus on founders who already have some revenue traction. So we would not invest in you if your business is basically an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree that the cost of setting up a business are really high. Um, and then this is maybe where kind of like learning from others First of all, how they navigated kind of like the whole founding journey um, is probably kind of like a good way to start. And this is what accelerators and incubators can provide you with, kind of like a network of peers. Um, And then I think maybe this is also a good space for kind of like some startup grants. I'm in general not a a huge fan of grants in general. (laughs) I think they're kind of like they, um, if you start with a huge grant, you're kind of like, um, you get a wrong incentive to actually get your your business cash flow positive. Um, but to cover some initial costs, um, it could be quite helpful to do that. And I think it's, I mean, in other countries you have subsidies, right? Yeah. <laughs> you have subsidies to set up a business. Um, in Germany, you have programs that help you set up a business um, when you're kind of like just starting out. Um, and so as long as we don't have that in Kenya, the, the, the question is like, how can you provide that first subsidy to founders who really have can even stem the cost of setting up their business in the first place. But this is not my area of expertise, right? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's okay. Uh, maybe as we approach towards, towards the end of the podcast here, I like what UNCAP is doing with local founders. Again, being a Kenyan, we've witnessed the gap in funding um, for local founders vis-a-vis um, expert founders. Uh, and maybe what do you think it will take to scale the model to serve more African countries that are facing similar challenges? You mean to scale our model? To scale your yeah. model, precisely. Um, actually, I think it just like we're, we're going to do another round of testing with the new core that we're investing in mm-hmm. um, that give, will give us more. Basically, our model is like a, cur- a model of current iterating. Like every new data point that we get on investment helps us to get more precise in the selection process gets get more precise in the investment model and help help us to better support them in the investment phase. Um, and I think the moment that we realize that kind of like the whole process is running really smoothly in the four countries we invest in now, um, we will start going to other countries. Um, because for us, like we, we don't need to set up shop. We don't need to set up a local team in the region. Um, so we're definitely going to going to target other countries next year. And our goal is like we, I mean, we want to go big. <laughs> we really, we want to invest in, in thousands of companies over the next 10 years. Um, like one, one billion is our target. 
and that kind of like on an average ticket size of twenty thousand dollars, that means like fifty thousand entrepreneurs. Wow. Um, it sounds very big and very ambitious, but I think if you want to, if you really want to disrupt something, you need to have an audacious goal, and that's ours. Apart from the audacious goal, <laughs> let's go back in time here. So, if you were to start Uncap today, uh, it's twenty twenty one August. What do you think you would have done differently compared to how you started Uncap in twenty nineteen? I think it's very hard to tell because. In general, I'm very happy where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, if I now look back and like, how oh, things could have gone faster, but I think people really underestimate the element of time when starting a business. I think some some things just really take time to kind of like wrap your mind around certain concepts that you're trying to to disrupt. Um, what I would have done differently, for sure, is start with a much larger test base in the beginning. So when we first run our very kind of like um, hands-on rough application process in 2019 um we had around 200 applications yeah um, and we didn't we didn't do any marketing nothing because we didn't even know yet what our product would be but that means that with like a sample of 200 applicants and like 30 investments you can't build a solid solid algorithm you can kind of like test some hypothesis but your test will not be statistically relevant or significant um, so i think that's the only thing i would have done differently um, in hindsight, kind of like test larger from the start um, to start with a better database. But back then, that was actually not possible because we didn't have funding, we weren't set up, we didn't even know where we would go. For us, this first pilot was not even part of product development, it was just part of better understanding the problem. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually all, all I had for today. I really wanted this session to move um, get to know Uncap and understand the unconventional nature of, of what you do specifically, um, how you focus on more of the process here and uh, building businesses better to access um, investments as, as they grow. Is there anything that maybe I might have missed that you'd like to add? No, I think I think you covered it really well. I mean, it's probably, it's not like what we're doing is not very straightforward. So I think whoever is still confused what we're doing, like check out the website. <laughs> Um, and I think like we're like whoever hears that and, and wants to apply, like please go ahead, please go on our website um, and apply to become part of the next cohort. Um, and thank you. Thanks for this opportunity to talk to you. Um, I really enjoyed the chat. All right. Um, to our listeners, that's all I had for this episode. As Francesca said, if you're interested in Uncap, be sure to check out the website. The website is unconventional.capital. Thank you for listening to to this show. See you next time. Goodbye. Bye.